This episode of I Was a Teenage Film Snob is not brought to you by the Cadbury Crave because it no longer exists. But you can get your hands on a Whisper Gold and that's kind of the same thing. Welcome to I Was a Teenage Film Snob. I'm James Chalmers, your friendly neighbourhood film snob. And this week we are continuing our travel back in time to the 80s. Last week we had the wonderful Gabby Van Kylenberg on speaking about some of her favourites and she uh, rightfully embarrassed me with a, a list of five movies, for only one of which I'd seen. Uh, she tried to revoke my film snob card, but I wrestled it back from her and uh, I'm hoping to make up for it this week. Uh this week, as I said, we are continuing the the journey, and I have no idea what's on the list, but I think I've got a, a sneak suspicion of one or two of them because I grew up with this person and we watched a lot of these films together. Uh, she was on one of the very early episodes of the show. Please welcome back my sister, Sarah Chalmers. Welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me back. It's good to be back. It's been a while. I, um, I've been yeah. trying to – we had a couple – We actually, I was meant to do an episode the other night um, – with someone and they uh, and they were sick, so we, we couldn't go ahead. And I knew it was going to be a long one. I was like, oh, there's two episodes in that easily. Uh, and then they cancelled, but I'd already booked you as well. So I was like, all right, I know I've got a, I've got a, another episode. So we can roll you out early, which is good. But, um, yeah, haven't had you in a while. Haven't had Dad in a while. Still haven't had Mum. She's like, yeah, yeah, I'll do it. So it's all good. You're at Mum's house now. She could totally crash, but we won't do that. Uh, oh, <laughs> <laughs> I um. So uh, I asked this of, of Gabby last week, and I guess um, this question applies to you as well. You weren't born in the 80s. You were born in, in the early 90s, 1993. So do the 80s really mean anything to you? Or, or do, do, you have any, like, do you have an affection for the 80s? Or is it because you were born after it, you don't really care? No, I, I like the 80s. I like the 80s music genre. Um, um, and the movies are not that bad. Uh, to be honest, I haven't really ventured movie-wise, um, into the 80s as much as I probably should, but I think that will come with time. Mm-hmm. I actually watched an 80s movie last night to get myself prepared for it. it is was... it on the list or is it a separate one? No, it's not on the list. What was it? What did you watch? I watched the original Footloose. I've never seen that. Oh, I forgot about start, ladies and gentlemen. Um, <laughs> another one I haven't seen. I think Gabby mentioned that last week and I had I didn't say I'd already told her no four times. I wasn't going to say no another time. Um, how was it? Um, it was, it was, um, interesting. I, I, I've seen, I think my, my downfall was that I watched the remake before I watched the original. I've had the original in my collection quite some time. I just never got around to watching it. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, like the, the soundtrack was really cool and like the acting was good. Mm-hmm. A lot of daggy dancing. Like I enjoyed it. It's one of those films you can watch and not really have to concentrate because mm. I already knew the story from the, the remake. Sure. But the cast is great. I quite liked it. Um, I think I think, I think one thing with 80s films and earlier, I think 90s, I mean, it's going to depend. I think if you speak to a, a teenager today, the 90s is ancient history to them. But I think yeah, for exactly. people of our age or you kind of in our, in our generation, once you get to the 80s or older, you can see a definite change in quality. The films, you know, 
even though they're great, and I'm not saying 80s movies suck, not at all. I wouldn't have done a whole thing. I wouldn't have done a whole phase on 80s if I didn't like 80s movies. But I think, you know, the technology was different. Um, editing was different. You know, sometimes you watch some of those films, especially from the 70s, which is why we didn't start with the 70s. They're a lot slower paced. They take a little while to build up, that sort of thing. There's a very different acting style. There wasn't really method acting back in the 70s and 80s. I'm not saying they didn't do it at all, but it was a lot less common. Um, obviously, special effects, you know, it was all practical. They didn't really have computer-generated effects at that time, which I like, by the way. I like practical effects. Um, and I was saying this to Gabby last week, and you mentioned the music, because obviously I think one thing that people really think about with the 80s is the music itself. It's so um, so iconic. It has a very distinct sound. Um, but the 80s is when the movie soundtrack really began. Like in the 70s, they didn't really do songs on movies, maybe here or there on one or two, but really the 80s is where it happened. Um, <clears throat> so music plays a huge role uh, in that. But, um, yeah, I wondered, because we've never really talked about and I know, like, I don't want to name any movies because I might actually give one away on your list, but I know in our house growing up, we watched a lot of 80s comedies. Like, that was our thing. I'll throw out some names without giving away movies, but John Belushi, Leslie Nielsen, um, uh, Dan Aykroyd, Steve Martin, like, kind of those those guys kind of came up quite a bit. Um, I'm just talking all over you. Go, go say things. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, um, 100%. I feel like, like in my last podcast episode, I specifically said I don't, not that I don't like comedies, but it's not something that I would go to watch. But when I was working on my list, I had noticed that there's quite a few comedies on it. Nice one. With the 80s, I think maybe comedies is the way I would lean more towards, which is interesting. Well, the eighties for me, I think, is and when we talk about comedy, was the the definitive era of the parody movie, the spoof, the satire. Um, I've already mentioned Leslie Nielsen's name, and he was kind of the king of that. Like he did a lot of that sort of thing, to the point where now I find that modern ones really don't work, like or hold up. You know, the eighties ones. I can go back and watch. Um, I won't say those names in case they're on your list, but I can go back and watch those movies um, and really enjoy them. Um, but I can't go back and watch Scary Movie and enjoy it. And that's not to say Scary Movie is a bad film. It just, for me, doesn't hold up quite as much. There's still some jokes in it that really work. Um, and then any parody movie made after Scary Movie, forget it. I'm just like anything like made in the two thousand, like the late 2000s on, I'm just like, mm. with the exception, I would say, of Popstar, which is by the Lonely Island Boys, um, where they basically made a parody of... Um, it was like a music documentary. It was, it was kind of like a, a Spinal Tap kind of documentary, but about a rapper, exactly. and it was re- really good. Has that got the um, Brooklyn Nine-Nine? Yeah. So he, um, Andy Samberg. Yeah, Andy Samberg okay. from Lonely Island. Um, yeah, that to me is one of the few kind of satire spoof movies that really works still. Um, yeah. <clears throat> well, before we get into your list, because I know you've got that, and I'm sure you've got some honorable mentions as well, and you also showed me you had a list of notes. Um, previous <laughs> guest Maddie would be a huge fan of this because she also brought she brought a a dream journal. It looked like there's so many ideas on it. Um, the last time you were on, you recommended a movie to me because in the, in the rapid fire, you said, Hey, I was, one of the questions was, what's the last thing you watched? And you said fresh. And I was like, what's that? I've never heard of it. And you're like, it's on Disney plus. It's got Sebastian Stan in it. I think you'll like it. And you didn't tell me what it was about. So when I was sick recently, um, I took a few weeks off work and also off the podcast. I had a lot of free time. So I watched fresh I'm going to spoil it. So if you listen to the show and you haven't watched Fresh yet and you care about spoilers, pause it, go watch it, come back. It's like about an hour and a half. 
we don't care about spoilers, we're going to spoil a little bit. Um, Fresh, I'm so glad you didn't spoil it for me. I'm so glad you didn't tell me what it was about. Um, so for those who don't know, Fresh is it's a horror film, and you didn't even really tell me that, I don't think, which would have re- which would have sold me on it. Like, you were like, oh, it's a, it's a horror film. Um, but Sebastian Stan plays this really, like, charming, suave guy who's a doctor, and he meets up, meets up with this girl who's not looking for love anymore. She's done. She's only met jerks. And they kind of meet in the supermarket, and they do a charming interaction. And um, they end up going to a bar, and, like, they start fooling around, have starting to date. And then about 30 minutes into the movie, the, the titles start. Like, it's got a really long intro. And basically what happens is he takes, they're going to go away on a weekend vacation and she wakes up and he's roofied her. And when it, when that happened, I was like, Oh, Oh, I wish it wasn't one of these movies. And it's not, it's not one of those movies. He has abducted her, but what it turns out and spoiler, 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 spoilers, spoilers. He is a guy who abducts women and then cuts off their body parts and sells their meat to really, really rich, horrible people. And I was like, that's what we're doing with movies now. Um, it's incredible. It's a really, really well done movie. It's, it sounds horrible, but it is fun. Like it's a really good um, horror film. It's a really good kind of escape film. Um, the cast is really good. And like, even though he's a horrible person, Sebastian Stan is so charming in it. Um, what a great movie um, for you to recommend for me. I could, I'm so glad I watched it. Oh, my God. It was so good. I watched it the first night it was released in Australia on Disney+. Park. And I had done a little bit of research on it before I watched it, and I wasn't 100% convinced I was going to like it because it was a horror. But I think, and as a girl myself, it's a very good message in the film. Like, obviously, people aren't as what they seem. And so you, you kind of put your trust in people and these things happen. So I think there's a message that you should probably do a little bit more research before you decide to go a weekend away with somebody. <laughs> um, <laughs> because, um, yeah, scary stuff. And, and it does happen in real life. Mm. You hear about it. Um, but I thought it was really good. Um, as you know, I don't really like horror. But I think and it's not, re- it's not. It's mean, not. I would. I would definitely like schedule it. I would say like, it's light horror. If I was going to put it on a shelf in Video Easy, which doesn't exist anymore, I would definitely put it in the horror section. Um, and like as I get older, and as I start to enjoy film more and more, and really get into watching different kinds of films, I'm being a lot more broad. Like five years ago, when I really when I was a real film snob, or even you know, even over the last 10, 15 years, I'd get very specific. I'm like, no, it's not horror because it's not scary. And now yeah. I'm kind of being like a lot more permissive. I'm like, you know what? Like it is horror. Like it definitely is a horror film. It's just a different kind of horror, you know, but it still falls in that blanket. So I agree. It is a horror film. It just happens to be really fun. It's like freaky as a horror film, um, but it's very fun. Um, the Final yeah. Girls is a horror film, but it's a lot of fun. Um, and and I think Fresh kind of fits in there a little bit. No, not Fresh isn't quite as fun as those movies. Um, it's still upsetting. Um, it's a really good revenge story. Um, I love a horror revenge story where, you know, the, the victim, you know, kind of gets gets back what they're looking for, which is great. Um, so, yeah, it was a solid recommendation. And I loved it, loved it, loved it. Yeah. I, um, I also – and this is a movie podcast, not a TV show podcast, but 
also based on your recommendation, I started watching Pam and Tommy, and it's amazing. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm only two episodes I, I, in, so I've, I've seen the talking wiener. Um, but um, I've so everyone yeah. Everyone talked t- about that scene. Tina and I've been watching that. Well, I know because Tina was we were watching it because Tina's a staunch feminist, which is um, as am I. I'm not as staunch as her because I'm not a woman, but I am absolutely a feminist. We talked about this on the show before, um, and we're watching it. And she was like, "Ah, oh, of course, it's showing her boobs, but we won't see we won't see his wiener." I'm sure of it. And I was like, "Well, because I knew about the talking wiener." It's like maybe. And then two seconds later, she's like, "Oh my gosh, I take it back. This show's got a quality in it." <laughs> well, yeah, like um. Not to delve too much into it, but I didn't know much about the whole Pam and Tommy sex tape. It was kind of, it kind of happened when I was literally born. Um, But obviously there's rumbling about it. But um, it was really interesting. I think, again, it was incredibly cast, um, the transformations of both Lily James and Sebastian Stan were amazing. See, Tina said that as well. And I said, I think Sebastian Stan's transformation is good, but I could tell straight away that was Sebastian Stan. That does not look like Lily James at all. The only... Yeah, literally her eyes. The only way you can tell tell it's her is like, and I only know this because I've watched a lot of Lily James films, in particular Baby Driver. She has very distinct teeth. And you can kind of see that, but otherwise it looks nothing like her. Um, so I, you know, and not to say that his transformation isn't great, but like she's like she's obviously sitting in a ton of prosthetics, and it's really interesting because. Well, yeah, I was going to say that because obviously there's there's, there's a lot of nudity in the show, obviously because it's about a sex tape, um, but that is not Lily James naked. She is wearing a fake suit over her, which means. Yeah. No one ever has to be naked in TV or movies again if they don't want to. Like, this show has cured that. Like, no one has to do exactly, it. Exactly, right? Um, but, yeah, no, very good. I know it's up to some awards, and I think it might do well. Mm. Um, but, again, yeah, just another good thing that I picked up on Disney+. Plus. Again, it's very funny that it's on Disney+, Plus, but it um, is technically on the star. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, the star the star section is great. Um, I, I I love Disney Plus consistently putting out great shows. I'm I, you know I'm all the way in on Miss Marvel. I'm obsessed with it. So oh, I, mean, yeah, I haven't thought of that yet. Oh, it's adorable. Like it's like it's absolutely a kids show about a teenage girl who's obsessed with superheroes. Um, so I see a lot of myself in it. Um, it's what is a young girl? I'm not a teenage girl, but I am obsessed with superheroes and all the things she does. I'm like I do those things. Um, yeah. And all the arguments she has, I'm like I have those arguments. Uh, alrighty, we have gone on long enough about TV. It's like goddamn movie show. Um, keep your TV shows out of this. Um, we talked about Fresh, and I'm glad we did. Cause been, ever since I watched it, we're like, we'll talk about it in the next episode. Um, you brought in a list of five movies. You brought in your notes. Um, I imagine you've probably got some honourable mentions as well. Um, the fact that I've grown up in a house with you means I've probably seen at least a couple of these. So we get some really good conversation. Um, let's... Uh, you know, let's crank the DeLorean up to 88 miles per hour. And what is your first movie or your number five? Or Are they in an order or is it just whatever they order? They are. They're in an order. They're in okay. order. We will start off with number five. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice. Tim Burton's Beetlejuice, Michael Keaton, pre-Batman, Winona Ryder, Alec Baldwin. Yeah, good cast. Great cast. 
I, I mean, I hate to start the show off this way again. Oh, no. I don't know that I've seen it from start to finish. I've definitely seen bits of it, but I don't think I've ever seen it from start to finish. I think the reason why is when I was a kid, the DVD was rated M for medium-level coarse language, which meant there's probably some pretty bad swearing in it. And I was like, well, Dad's not going to let us watch that, so I guess I'm not bringing it home. And then I've just never gone back to it. Yeah. Um, I like it very much. Take me through because um, I know that, like, I know a few things about it. I know that, like, you can't say – if you say his name three times in a row, he appears. And I know that, like, he's haunting this house. And I think there's, like, a possession scene at the dinner table where they all sing Deo or something like that. I know bits and pieces. But what's the story of Beetlejuice? Tell me about it. Beetlejuice is about this lovely couple that moves into a town, living in a new house, and then they pretty much get in a car accident and die. That's pretty much how it starts. And mm-hmm. then they realize they're dead and they have to then figure out what it's like to live dead pretty much. And this whole family comes into their new house and it's pretty much like, well, who's trying to get rid of who in the house and who's impending on whose house. And so, then go- so sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you. So basically like after they've died, they're trying to scare away the new inhabitants and the new inhabitants are trying to like have like an exorcism or just trying to get rid of the ghost. Yes, pretty much. Great idea. Um, so they go into the underworld and there's this really, they get like this book that tell them how to live and what they have to do to get rid of these people in their house. Um, eventually what happens is the daughter of the family can see them. Yep. The, the, them and, um, then they get in contact with Beetlejuice who can help them get rid of the family that's in the house. So if you say Beetlejuice three times, not only does he appear, he becomes full life because when you first meet him, he's about this big. Okay, he's like an inch tall, yep. Yeah. So he, they call him three times and he becomes life and he pretty much runs amok. Um. He will help them if he marries the daughter of the family. <laughs> Pretty much. That's um, genius. So a lot of the things why I like this film is that there's a lot of dark humor in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so they obviously explore the funny aspects of death, ghosts, um, the structure of afterlife, and the way that people die. Because, you know, we don't mm-hmm. experience that enough in life. Um, I love Winona Ryder in it. Winona Ryder is and will always be amazing to me. I've never seen a bad performance. I, I, I think she's fantastic. Like, obviously, in Edward Scissorhands, um, she's great. Um, Girl Interrupted, um, Stranger Things, even in, in the later years. She's always great, always entertaining. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think, you know, obviously she had some trouble with the law in the 2000s. I think people were off Winona Ryder for a while, but I think she's always great. Yeah, um, I think, like, she was obviously a young teenager herself when she, this film came out, and I think she kind of just shows, like, teen angst but with that gothic twist, which it was, I think in a lot of 80s films are all, like, happy-go-lucky, um, but I like that. Obviously, Michael Keaton, he's, as Beetlejuice, is awesome. Mm-hmm. He, um... um 
I'm trying to think what I wrote. Okay, you can look at it. Well, Michael Keaton, this was before Batman. And I remember when, um, well, I wasn't old enough to realise the time, but I know that there was a big uproar when he got cast as Batman because he was known for only doing comedies, Beetlejuice included. Um, and so people were like, hey, you know, Beetlejuice is going to be Batman? I don't think so. Uh, and then obviously, yeah. you know, he's still Batman to this day. Um, exactly. Um, and then I like the movie's visuals. I think Tim Burton... We all know he's a creative genius when it comes to visuals. Um, the whole. I'm glad you. I'm glad you clarified. I um. Now we never say anything negative on the show. This is just a bad, a bad film. But I, for someone who loves like edgy, or you know, especially when I was a teenager, loving edgy kind of underground kind of films, I've never been the world's biggest fan of Tim Burton. I don't think he's a bad filmmaker. Not at all. I think he's a wonderful filmmaker. I just feel like he should stick to making his own things and not adapting things. I feel whenever he takes something else that he didn't create, I'm never quite into it. Like, you know, famously on, on the Batman episode a few episodes ago with Nick, none of the Tim Burton Batman movies were on my list. And he was kind of shocked. I said, look, I just don't think Tim Burton understands Batman. He likes their villains, but he doesn't really care about Batman. And I can't have a Batman film on my list where Batman isn't the main character. Um, you know, same with Alice in Wonderland. I know that a lot of people did like that film. I think you liked it as well. To me, it just didn't quite hit the mark for me. Visually stunning, but I was just like, I just, I just didn't. There was some, some miss, you know, some stuff missing there. Um, I, I still haven't seen Dumbo um, because it looks very, very sad. Um, although I did like Miss, I did like Miss Peregrine's, um, which I know a lot of people didn't like, but I didn't read the book, so I did enjoy that. So I'm about to break my own rules there and say that even though I don't like his adaptations that much i did like that one yeah um uh, but all, his ori- all his original stuff is brilliant visually it's very good especially when um he's in the netherworld and it's like all really cartoony mm. and you know i don't really like animated films not because i don't think i knew that did you say that in the last episode it's not, it's not no, it's not that i don't like them i think i just can't concentrate in them because there's just so much going on if okay. that makes sense because it's all oh we've got to get you into some animated films i we did a whole episode of them recently um and uh there's some oh, so much great stuff out there we'll find oh, no, like I, I mean i've watched animated films i mean i like monster dink and i like um the incredibles mm-hmm. it's not that i don't like them i just think they're just too busy because everything is computer generated if that makes uh, yeah, I mean, I, I guess so. I know a lot of people, especially a lot of adults. Well, I guess not adults these days because all the adults that I know were kids when I was a kid. So we grew, we grew up with a lot more animation. But I know a lot of adults, um, you know, our dad included, don't actually take them seriously as movies. So like, ah, oh, they're cartoons. I remember I took dad yeah. to see Moana on New Year's Eve, the year it came out. But I didn't tell him. I just said, hey, you want to come to the movies with us? Uh, with, with Tina and I. He goes, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And he gets gets to our house. And I bought my tickets, our tickets that morning. We're heading off to dinner. He goes, oh, what movie are we seeing? I'm going, we're going to see Moana. And he goes, what's that? I go, it's a new Disney film. And he looked at me and goes, oh, oh, okay. And I was like, don't worry, it's going to be great. Um, he's like, oh, he's like yeah, look, he was like, look, I'm not paying for dinner or movies. So I'm not going to not have a winch. But it wasn't the kind of movie he was, thought we were going to go see. And we got to the end and he had like tears in his eyes. He's like, I could not believe, I would never expect that that film was going to be that good. Um, so yeah. sometimes you just need to like. I still haven't seen that. Oh, it's great. Uh, I showed Zoe Toy Story for the first time the, the other week. Did you um, cry? Uh, no, the first one isn't that sad. Um, the second and third one um, really are. And the fourth yeah. one has some sad moments. But um, the first one uh, is, is a lot it's of fun. It's very happy. 
so yeah, so I showed that to her and she sat pretty much through the whole thing. So Do you know what I'm actually looking forward to seeing and it's only just come out is Light Year. I kinda yeah. wanna see that. Yeah, it looks great. Looks great. I'll see anything yeah. with Chris Evans in it pretty much. Um <laughs> Alrighty, so sorry, I introduced your Beetlejuice thought, but you said yeah, you didn't like animation, so I had to. A... Do it. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that I don't like. It's not my preferred choice of film. You said you hated it. No, it's fine. Um, <laughs> did you see Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse? No. Oh my goodness! It was my favorite film of the year that year, um, and it's my number one favorite animated film of all time. It's absolutely worth your time. It's really, really good. You won't probably get the same emotional stuff that I, I got out of it because it was released about a month or two after Stan Lee died. And, of course, mm. there's a Stan Lee cameo in it, and it destroyed me. I Like, oh, this is, like the minute I heard his voice, I was just in tears. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and that movie makes me cry a lot because there's a lot of cry moments. But that's a great one. The Lego movie is really good. There's, there's some great stuff out there. I'll, I'll make you a I'll, I'll have to I'll, I'll have to give it another chance. Okay, so Beetlejuice, number five on your list. Great choice. I've seen bits and pieces. As always, when we talk about a film I haven't seen, I do want to go and see it now. So, uh, and I was just telling you before we started recording, the last time we spoke, we were talking about Troy, which I have seen, but not since it came out. I have since ordered that because Tina hasn't seen either. So it should arrive next week and then we'll probably watch three hours of Troy. <laughs> that being said, <laughs> she hasn't seen the Batman yet and sitting up there waiting to be rewatched. So. The Batman, the one with Robert Pattinson? Yeah, she hasn't seen I it. I feel bad to see that. Yeah, I went and saw that with, uh, with my friend Nick. And she has, we haven't watched Ghostbusters yet, but that's sitting on my shelf as well to be watched. So. What's that with Dad? Not, not that recently. Mm. All righty. What's number four on your list, Sarah? Ferris Bueller's Day Off. What a movie. We talked about this briefly last week. I love Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Um, tell me all about Ferris. All right. So basically it's about this kid who kind of cons his parents into having a sick day. Mm-hmm. And um, it sounds childish, but you lick your palms. <laughs> um, and then he literally um, goes and picks up his friend who is actually sick. And then they steal <laughs> his, pa- his dad's car to go pick up his other friend. And then they go out into New York and have a big old field day. He, um, um, his, his girlfriend, Sloane, who, in order to pick her up, he pretends to be her dad and then kisses her in front of the teacher, which is such a weird, which is such an 80s movie thing. Like, yeah. you would have put it any other decade, they wouldn't have done that, but the 80s it was fair game. Um, yeah. John Hughes film, John Hughes, who um, makes has made some of the most definitive teenage films of all time, including uh, 16 Candles and uh, and Breakfast Club and, uh, and I want to say Weird Science. Um he also did the Home Alone films. Um, but, um, yeah, Ferris Bueller, like, he was the ultimate teenage idol. Like, he was the guy everyone wanted to be. Um, yeah, as you said, he had the cool car. Cameron, poor, poor Cameron. Oh, um, poor Cameron. <laughs> the, the marching band scene is amazing. Doesn't everybody want to just jump on a float and take over and just start Dunk a shame. Um, really, um, the whole, you know, the car getting destroyed. Um, oh, yeah. It's uh, it's such a – I think it's one of the few – I think maybe one of the first films to have a post credit scene as well. Because mm. at the end he comes out of, his, out of the shower with the rowers like, what are you still doing here? Go home. Um, 
and then um and then they copied that in Deadpool like year, like thirty years later he did they did the same thing for their one. It's like what are you guys doing? Go home. Oh, you want to hear about the next film? Um, ah, oh, I love Ferris Bueller. Now, interesting. The I think I showed this to Tina a few years ago because I told this story recently. Where Tina's always like, "I love eighties films," and then she watched eighties films, just like. Them. Um, but she's always in the mood to watch an 80s film. So we put on Ferris Bueller, which she'd never seen. I was like, oh, you'll love Ferris Bueller. It's great. And we're sitting there having two very different experiences. Me, who's watched Ferris Bueller dozens of times, and Tina, who's never seen it before. And Ferris Bueller, if you watch it before you're 20 or even, or even before you're an adult, is the best film of all time. Because you're like, I can relate to Ferris. He's my guy. You watch it as an yeah. adult and you have teenagers who report to you in your job. Ferris Bueller sucks. Like Tina's like, he reminds me of every bad student I have. He's a jerk. And I was like, well, it's hard to argue with. Um, yeah. But there's just so many um, quotes like from it. Like I just remember dad be like, Bueller. Yeah. Bueller. Bueller. Anyone? Like, anyone? No, Bueller. Um, that's great. The, the whole save Ferris where they think Ferris is dying. but <laughs> And then the whole, like, the principal going to their house and, like, trying to get in to catch him, like, out, which is amazing. Yeah. And also has that very famous that, music like... where it's like, um, do, do, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh. Oh, it's just a good film. And, like, it's one of those ones that's just easygoing. Mm. Again, something you can watch with the family because there's nothing really bad in it. There is some really explicit swearing in it. I um, <laughs> It's when – so and you just mentioned the principal. Um, I remember when, the, oh, when, yes. the, when I was watching and he's trying to get over the door and he, they say an F word in a PG movie. And I remember when I was a, a kid watching I was terrified because we weren't allowed to watch anything with – F's in it. Anything under an F, like, you know, not too many, but anything with F's, no, we weren't allowed to watch. And I remember sitting there and, like, Dad was on the couch and he'd fallen asleep. I was like, I guess I'll keep watching because he didn't hear because I was so afraid of, like, you know, being caught watching. But he chose the movie. So I was just like, he must have forgotten or just, you know, he just wasn't paying attention. Um, Yeah, I love Ferris Bueller, even though I can absolutely see Tina's point of view on how it's, you know, He's kind of a jerk. Um, I do really like that. It was really fun. Um, Mia Sara as um, as Sloane is like the perfect '80s girlfriend. Like she's uh, like she's very clever and funny and smart. Cameron's a great best friend who, unfortunately, is a real. Um, I'm trying to think what the word is. He's a, he's the real victim of the movie. Like I love Cameron, but he just doesn't cop a break until he finally like unloads on on Ferris at the end. Um, yeah. which, which Ferris totally deserves. Um, but yeah, oh, it's a great film. What an excellent film to put in your list. Yeah. I, I don't think I could have had an 80s with, without that on it. I think it, that's um, probably... I mean, it's not on my number one, but it's definitely one of my... And favorites. they're all... Um, I think they're all still still pretty active. Like, Matthew Broderick's still doing work. Um, the guy who plays Cameron was in that movie Freaky I just mentioned before. He played one of the teachers. Um, and I'm sure Mia Sara's been doing stuff as well. But... um. And uh, I, actually, the principal I just saw recently, because I've been rewatch, I've been watching Deadpool, uh, Deadwood for the first time, and he's uh, in Deadwood, the TV show. But we don't talk about TV shows, so stop talking about them. Um, I'm not bringing 
you the most. <laughs> you brought up every single TV show that we've talked about today. Don't accuse the host. Okay. What is uh, – did you have anything else to say about Ferris before no, we move I on? Think, I think that enough. <laughs> no, nice Number one. Number three. Th- Number three. I don't know if I'm going to get um, – a bit of backlash for number three after what you've just said not a, a few minutes ago. My number three is Batman. Nice. No. Okay. I should like – I was just saying in the pantheon of Batman films, it doesn't make my list of favourite Batman films. Yeah. It's still a really enjoyable film. And it's a really, it's a really enjoyable movie. It's just, you know, for me, it's not a great Batman film. I feel the same way controversially, and I said this on the podcast on that Batman about the Dark Knight. I love the Dark Knight. I just don't think it's a very good Batman film. The main character of that movie yeah. is the Joker. Um, the yeah. only film to really make Batman the main character is the most recent one, the Batman, where he almost never takes off the costume. Um, yeah, I do love all those movies. So tell me all about um, Batman. Well, I mean, it's pretty much the origin story of Tim Burton's version of Batman. Um, It's got Michael Keaton in it, Jack Nicholson, and Michael Um, Goh. And it pretty much is Batman versus the Joker, but very differently portrayed than, obviously, Christopher Nolan's Batman and Joker. Um, I like this film because it, I love, well, as you know, I love my Batman film. Um, I like this one because it kind of doesn't portray Bruce Wayne as the playboy billionaire, if that makes sense. He's got a little bit more, not that, not that Christian Bale's Batman's any different, um, <laughs> but, and even like, it's just, he doesn't play it off as a billionaire who doesn't care. There's much more depth his Bruce Wayne? Yeah, I mean, look, I think, you know, the thing about Bruce Wayne is, like, because obviously that's the mask. Like, Batman is the real person. Like, once his parents were murdered, he was no longer Bruce Wayne. He was Batman. Batman. And the Bruce Wayne persona is the pretend one. And they've done that in different ways over the years. Like, there's that really wonderful scene in Batman Begins where, like, he falls into the pond with the models and stuff. Like, he's not really like that. He's pretending so people don't realise it's Batman. Whereas Bruce Wayne in this version of Batman is very distracted. It's almost like he can't – he's always, like, looking for other things and getting distracted by things. I love um, Michael Keaton's portrayal as Bruce Wayne and as Batman. Michael Goff, who you mentioned, as Alfred, is wonderful. Like, he defined that role for so long and still probably is the most memorable Alfred for me, even though I think Michael Caine is probably oh. – they're all so Michael. good because Michael Caine is great, but so is Jeremy Irons. And, you know, we didn't get to see much – of Andy Circus's, but I look forward to seeing more of his. But Michael Goff oh, was yeah, my Andy first Goff. was my first Alfred. Um, you mentioned Jack he's Nicholson. Just so obviously. cute, and he's like one of those. He's he's like he's 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 your grandfather, you know. Like yeah. he just feels like your grandfather. Uh, he's he's wonderful, and he's um so. But he's terrible at keeping secrets. That Alfred, he's the one who's like this. He's like you know. This way, sir. Like to the the phone, it just lets people in the back cable all the time. Um, yeah. But he's great. Um, Jack Nicholson clearly as the Joker is wonderful, even though um he does like he's got some weird prosthetics. I would just let him have his regular smile. Jack Nicholson's pretty scary as it is. 
Uh, yeah, exactly. we didn't, we, she wasn't mentioned, but um, Kim Basinger as Vicky Vale is really Bain, good. At, yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's... Um, and again, what I liked about it is the visual of the actual film. Very dark, very moody, gloomy dark colours. Like, it didn't really sun, like have sunshine in it. It's very gothic. Kind of um, and very and everything is bat shaped. Like the car has yeah. bat wings on it. The bat wing like flies up in front of the moon and creates the bat symbol. It's very comic booky, which I love about yeah. it. Um, That's what I actually wrote down. It's comic book style. Like you know, like the Nolan films are great, but they feel like detective films. The Batman yeah. is also very much like the comics, but more the modern detective comics as opposed to those seventies and eighties ones. Whereas the Tim Burton one, even though he doesn't quite understand Batman, because Batman would never fire a gun, and if he did, he certainly wouldn't miss. Um, yeah. But even still, like the visual style is there, you know, like the Joker with his Smilex products, wearing his big purple hat, and he's, he pulls the gun out of his pants, and it's like a metre long. Um, yeah. You know, um, that can't be denied. This is your second Tim Burton film on your list. Uh which is, I, I yeah, like I there's, there's three more. Um. <laughs> no, no. Um, when I was writing my list, I had noticed that, but I think. Why not? Exactly. I mean, as you said, as much as I like Alice in Wonderland and stuff like that, I think in, his, in, in these two movies, when you're talking enemies, I like them a lot. So why not have two? Yeah, and the 80s is where it got its start, you know, like the 80s, you know, and look, that's what I say, he did his best work in the 80s, but the 80s and 90s yeah. really, really defined his style. Um, and then, you know, towards the late 2000s, he kind of did a lot more adaptations and stuff like that. Um, the only part of this movie I don't really like, or to me is the, maybe the bit of the movie that ages the worst, is when um, Joker comes into the art gallery and he's dancing to Prince. Like, yes. that's... <laughs> That's it, that's that's like me. It feels very dated. It feels like a v- very much a product of its time. Like you wouldn't like when he's when he's doing the marching band with the paintbrush, and he's like, "I'm creating art." Like that to me is like that's <laughs> the hardest part for me that, that holds yeah. up. But like Jack Nicholson's Joker is terrifying. I remember the first time I saw that oh. movie, I had to turn it off or I had to go to bed because I saw the the hand buzzer scene where he goes. I'm glad you're dead and starts like shooting him and stuff. Like the skeleton was so scary. I had, I had to stop watching it. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I was a child, but like, even now I still, like, as I think about it, I'm like, Oh, oh, I was so scared of that as a child. And now I'm still, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Kind of um, like how, um, Heath Ledger's Joker will always kind of give me shivers as well. Cause he just does it so well. Making a pencil disappear. Um, though he took it the step up. I um, yeah, it's a it's a solid film. Yeah, the only part is that art gallery scene. That's tough. Um, yeah. and like the Joker being in love with Vicky Vale, like because I've never I was, and that's not a problem. I'm not saying that's a bad. The movie sucks because of this. Not at all. I, I do like the movie quite a bit. Um, I just think it's a weird choice because I've always thought of the Joker as kind of asexual. I don't, not even emotionless. I think like he can like, in the comics he has like happy laughs and angry laughs and sad laughs. I think he's got emotions. I think his emotions are out of control. But what I just never think of him as being someone who 
is romantic. Like the relationship he yeah. has with Harley Quinn is not romantic. Like he, no. it's abusive. He's horrible to her. Yeah. Um, and like whenever, like she's often funnier than he is. And so whenever she gets to laugh, he gets angry. That kind of dynamic's interesting. But I don't think of him pining over a woman or wanting to romance someone. So that's the only thing that kind of feels a little bit out of place in that movie. That and the yeah. Prince dance sequence. But, <laughs> you know, it was yeah. the 80s. Uh, and that's exactly. what we're here to talk about. <laughs> um, does that mean, does that make uh, that movie, is that your favourite Batmobile or do you prefer later Batmobiles or earlier Batmobiles or how does that, that rank for you? I really like the Christopher Nolan Batmobile. The Tumblr, okay. The Tumblr, I like it. Don't get me wrong, I love the original. I think I actually have a Lego version of the Michael Keaton Batmobile, if I'm correct, that I've made. I think I've got a couple um, of them, yeah. Um, which, like, I like the one in this film, but if you're talking about my favourite, I think I just like it, the Tumblr, because it's just big and it's going to smash into people. Mm. This is definitely the slowest Batmobile. Like, whenever they, yeah. shoot, whenever they shoot a car chase because of the limitations and it's on a set, it's going very, very slow. It's, just, <laughs> it's, not, it's not the Robert Pattinson one, which is a supercar. Um, oh yeah, <laughs> but um, no, I just thought I because it is like, this to me is probably the most definitive one. Like even though it's not my favorite Batmobile, it's the one where I'm like that's the one I think of when I think of Batmobile because it's got the the big fins and wings and stuff. Uh, nice one. Anything else you want to say about Batman? 1989's Batman? No, I think that's pretty much it. Um, other than I just really like it. Hmm. Not my it's not my favorite Batman film, but it's my favorite. That's okay. We're not here to talk about Batman films, so that's fine. <laughs> All righty. Do we keep cracking on? Number two. Number two is... I don't think you've seen this one. Mm. Dirty Dancing. I have not had the time of my life with this movie. Um, <laughs> we talked about it briefly last week as well. Is it Jennifer Grey? Jennifer Grey, Patrick Swayze. Um, yeah, look, honestly, just not my thing. Um, and not, not that I'll never watch it. Like, I'll definitely give it a go. I just haven't got around to it yet. I just There hasn't been an evening where I've been like, what am I going to – oh, you know what I haven't watched? Dirty Dancing. Let's throw that on. But I'm sure, honestly, <clears throat> I guarantee you I'll watch and I'll love it. Like, it is the kind of film that I'll, as soon as I put it on, I'll be like, this – what was I doing for the last 30 years? Why haven't I watched this yet? Because the same thing happened with Princess Bride. I hadn't watched Princess Bride for the longest time, I kept putting it off, particularly uh, partially because Tina had been told it. Tina never wanted to watch it because all her friends loved it. And she's like, ah, that's not the kind of thing for me. And then one day I just whacked it on. I'm like, this is amazing. Um, so I guarantee I'll have the same experience with Dirty Dancing. I just haven't got around to it yet. Well, I mean, I didn't watch Dirty Dancing until probably three or four years ago. Again, I had bought it, hadn't watched it. And I thought, I knew that they had made a remake of it that they put on iTunes. So I wanted to watch the original before I watched the remake because the remake had the girl from Little Miss Sunshine. Oh, really? As in the little girl from Little Miss Sunshine, Abigail yeah. Breslin? Yes. Yeah, so she played Baby in the remake. <clears throat> but Interesting. So I did the right thing with Dirty Dancing and I watched the original first and then the remake. But I like Dirty Dancing, A, again, even though it's set in the 60s, it's got a lot of 80s music in it, so the soundtrack's really good. Mm-hmm. Um, it's 
for me, it's, again, hitting a lot of real-life issues mm-hmm. in the film. So there's oh, – I don't really want to spoil it for you. Oh, look, I mean, if it came out almost 40 years ago. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's my yeah. own fault I haven't seen it. So yeah. spoil it. Because chances are I'll be like, oh, well, now I definitely want to see it. Like, giving away those sorts of – you know, don't spoil, you know, the new Thor movie for me. But you can spoil <laughs> a 40-year-old movie, absolutely. So pretty much um, – it deals with real life issues, like I said. So, it's a obviously it's a movie that's about dancing and people falling in love. But there's a character Penny who's pregnant and she can't like she can't have the kid. Then there's Johnny. I was going to ask. I was going to say. I was going to say. Tell me, there's a teenage pregnancy with an abortion in it because that is a staple of '80s movies, like more so than any other film. There's a movie that I'm not going to talk about. Um, at this stage, because it's on my list. I know I'm combing my hair. Um, I had an itch. Um, there's a movie, I won't list, I won't tell you the name of the movie because it's on my list and I'll be doing my list at some point soon. But I'll tell you another 80s film that does have it. It's called Last American Virgin. And it sounds like just a regular, like, kind of teen sex romp. But one of the plot points is that one of the main girl, the one that all the boys are in love with, she gets pregnant and she has to get an abortion. And I feel like yeah. most of the 80s teen films I've seen have an abortion in them. <laughs> Um, so just and look, and then that went away. Like after the eighties, that kind of just went away. But it's a really yeah. popular thing to put into movies. So as soon as you said there's real issues in this movie, I was like, I bet you there's an abortion. So obviously there's that, and then there's Johnny, who's the dance teacher. He comes from nothing, and he's afraid he's never going to be good enough for something real. And then there's Baby, who's the main character who lies to her parents and struggles with social awkwardness, which I think is still true to this day. People um, struggle with social awkwardness. Um, And it's a good example of how movies can be cinematic but real. Mm. When you're looking at it, you're not – I mean, obviously you know it's a film, but you're looking at it and you could think, well, this is a documentary on someone's life. Wow, okay. I've never heard it sold that way. See, you're selling me on this movie. That's how I see it. Um, obviously, Patrick Swayze is amazing in it. Total icon. Love him mm. in this film. Um, and then again, kind of going back to that ish, um, dealing with real issues, it's no one's pretending they're perfect in the mm-hmm. film, if that makes sense. So, again, going back, they're dealing with real issues. So, People make mistakes. In real life, people make mistakes. So there's no, like, it all, like I said, it doesn't feel like you're watching a movie or watching a documentary. That's kind of what I'm trying to get there, get that through. It, I love it. And obviously the dancing, which I love. And it's a love story as well. Mm-hmm. So you kind of have the whole package in that one. It's like um, it. it's interesting. So far, your list comprises of two Tim Burton films and two dancing movies. <laughs> oh, yeah, because... Very There's not that much dancing. <laughs> wait, did I? Oh, wait, did I miss something? Didn't you have another dancing film? Didn't you have? I had Beetlejuice, Ferris Bueller's. Oh, Day. I thought you mentioned a different dancing movie before. I must have got confused. I thought you mentioned a different dancing movie. Finally, you watched Footloose. Sorry, you watched Footloose it. the other night, and I was because I, I write down the list when I talk to people as well, so I've got a yeah. copy. So when I do the promotions later. And I was like, didn't you mention Footloose? And it's not in my list, though, so I got confused. Um, you're like, and number one is Footloose. Um, 
Well, look, you've de- as I said, you've definitely sold me on it. Like it's a flick that I, you know, it's been in the back of my mind for a while. I'm like, I should watch Dirty Dancing. Um, and I don't believe in like the whole like chick flick thing. Like I don't really think that just because a film's a certain genre, it belongs to just one group of people. Yeah. So I think you can watch anything. If that was the case, then we wouldn't watch any international cinema at all. Um, yeah. So um, look, you've definitely sold it to me in a way. And sold it harder to me than anyone else has before. So, look, it's on my list now. I'll give it a, a whirl and uh, I'll get back to you and let you know what I think of it. You know, it may not as quickly as I did with Fresh, um, but I will <laughs> definitely get onto it and have a look. Yeah, definitely. I, I think I think you'll like it. I think you will. I reckon I'll cry. I'm starting to think that I'm going to cry watching it. I did. Yeah. So, I reckon you will. Um, gee, we, we, there's not taken us long to get through this list. We're at number one already. Number one. <laughs> Let me see if I can guess it. Let me see if I can guess it. Um, I just said it already. Oh, I didn't hear you say it. Okay, so, well, let's try and guess it. Is it Blues Brothers? No. I didn't even think about Blues Brothers. It's not even on my honourable mentions list. Well, I mean, honourable mentions you can always add. Um, so not Blues Brothers. The funny thing is people like, we heard her say it, just get to it. Um, stop, you know, stop vamping because it's your show and you like the sound of your own voice. That's not what I'm doing. <laughs> I want to Naked Gun, Flying High. No, I know. Okay, what was your number one? I missed it. Ghostbusters. I did not expect this at all. And we were talking about the new Ghostbusters <laughs> before. Really? And look, that's what yeah. me being like, why would you do it? Like, I love Ghostbusters. I just would never have thought that was your favourite 80s film of all time. Um, a movie I have seen, which is good. Um, take that, Gabby, with your list of films <laughs> that I haven't seen before, making it look like an absolute fool. I mean, I haven't seen two of these, but it's better than four. Um, tell me about Ghostbusters. Well, no, test me. great theme song. Great theme song. It's pretty much, if I had a song that was like in my head without even thinking about it, it's probably that theme song. Before we you do, sorry, I mean? before we get into it, I just want to have a look at your list because this is something I was, we were talking about the songs before. And I think the 80s has the most iconic movie soundtracks of all time. Um, yeah. I think in terms of like um, movies released to soundtrack ratio, like obviously we get way more movies now. And like, you know, there's movies like Baby Driver that has like a killer soundtrack and Tar- Tarantino and all this. But I think the 80s was the biggest surge and has the greatest variety of soundtracks. Just looking over your list, Beetlejuice, I can't really think of a song other than like, Dayo. Um, but I don't think they really, that's not really, it's more Danny Elfman score, I think. Ferris Bueller, yeah. you've got Twist and Shout, um, and you've got, oh yeah. yeah. Uh, Batman, obviously, um, the best Batman score ever. Like, I love all the Batman scores, but like, do, 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 do. Um, plus, you get all that Prince music, like Bat Dance, um, and Let's Get Nuts. Um, I can't remember the song's called, but it's like, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Um, yeah. Dirty Dancing, I Had the Time of My Life. And yeah, now... got, um, and it's also got um, Gone with the Wind, Hungry Eyes. Hungry Eyes, of course. Um, uh, it's got a killer uh, playlist, which, or play, soundtrack. Um, um, it um, is, um, yeah, so you, forever proving that my, my theory, because last week, even although I hadn't like, seen a lot of movies, I could tell you songs from those movies. Um, excellent, excellent. Tell me about Ghostbusters now that I've done that little vamping bit. So it's pretty much 
based around these four guys who are scientists. And um, then there's two civilians. And pretty much ghosts and ghouls um, terrorize New York. And when I was a kid, it's really funny, because when I first saw this, I didn't see it as a comedy. I saw it as um, men chasing ghosts with lasers. Well, I think the beauty of Ghostbusters is that it it isn't just a comedy. And, like, we were talking about this before, about, like, the blanket of horror. Ghostbusters is a horror film. And, like, a lot of people will be like, shut up. It's got Bill Murray in it. It is still a horror film, just like American Werewolf <laughs> in London. Like, when it's meant to be scary, it is scary. When it's meant to be funny, it is funny. It is one of the earliest horror comedies. Um, and so, yeah, like, I don't just see it as a comedy film. I do, Like, even though, again, we talk about, you know, obviously in the 80s, you know, some of those effects will have been dated. It still works. Like, you know, like, oh. yeah, there's some plasticine in there and some stop motion and stuff like that, but it still works. Um, yeah, like- yeah. And that's what I was saying. Like, I didn't realize, I didn't realize there was, it was an actual horror comedy until I was much older and I rewatched it. Mm. I saw it as a scary film, and as a kid watching that film, it was really scary. I remember having nightmares after it. But I loved the cast in this film. Oh it's yeah, it's like a great. It's like a, it's a pretty much all star cast, which is amazing. Obviously, with Bill Murray. And Dan Aykroyd, and I'm trying to think of the other. Ernie Hudson, Harold Ramis, Rick Moranis, Sigourney Weaver. Um, uh, I'm sure I'm missing someone. Harold. I said Harold Ramis, so I um, don't. Harold Ramis is genius. Harold yeah. Ramis is one of my favorite, like, and most underrated, like, comedians from the '80s. Um, yeah, it's um, it's really, really solid. Uh, really, really fun. Um, based on, you know, the fact that Dan Aykroyd believes in all this sort of stuff. Um, so that's where the idea came from. Bill Murray wasn't meant to be a Ghostbuster. He was meant to be John Belushi, but then obviously John Belushi had all, all, all of his issues. So he, I can't remember if he passed away before the movie got made or not, but I think part of the reason he wasn't, it was due to the drug use. Yeah. Um, we, uh, we mentioned the, the music already. Um, yeah, like, you know, the car, the fire shop. The, um, oh. the firehouse, I should say, sorry. You know, the don't cross the streams, stay puffed. Like, there's so many iconic moments in it. Um, oh, slime. Yeah. And, and the, the, the hotel scene. Everything about it is just, it's just, like, so iconic. When I think 80s films, that's one of the first things I go to. It's just, I probably didn't appreciate as much as a kid, but I do appreciate it now. And, and like I said, it's something that I watched with you guys, so mm. it brings back to childhood. And Dad loves it. We rewatched it before we watched um, Ghostbusters Afterlife. So, and my favorite story out of all of all of this, from the first one through to Afterlife, is that Ivan Reitman directed the first one, and then his son directed the sequel, like the Afterlife, which is really lovely. And like Jason Reitman, his son has been is a very successful filmmaker. He's won awards, been nominated, and all these wonderful pictures. And he was like, I don't want to touch. I never want to make Ghostbusters. Why would I do that? Like, if I do that, I'm living in my dad's shadow. I need to do things myself. And then like one day, a few years back, before the pandemic, he's like, 
I think I might have an idea on how to make Ghostbusters <laughs> and then just decide to go for it. And I still haven't seen it. It's on my, it's sitting here, like literally the spine is poking out so I don't forget it. Not that I can I, possibly forget it. I but. quite enjoyed the new, the, the newer one. Yeah, it's been sitting there for a while, not as long as uh, as No Time to Die sat on my shelf. That's sat on my shelf for a long time. But um, You finally watched it? Oh, yeah, yeah, and I loved it. Um, <laughs> Even though he's done <laughs> yeah, that um, you know, that was never far from my mind, um, but that's okay. Uh, it's probably my third favorite of the Daniel Craig Bond films. Um, it's good, but I just think Casino Royale and Skyfall are so close to perfect. Um, yeah. They're going to always be hard to beat. To um, no, Ghostbusters is a wonderful choice, um, and it still yeah. holds up. Like it still works. Number two is a bit slower. You know, it's a little bit harder to get. You know, it's not a bad yeah. film by any stretch of imagination. It's just a little bit slower. But the first one is is really good. Um, and uh, and and Bill Murray just guys off the chain. Oh. <laughs> I love Bill Murray. Mm. I don't care what anyone says. I love you. <laughs> um, that is a solid list. Um, even the, and you know. There's some really iconic stuff in there. There's stuff that I would expect to see on an 80s list. Um, like I would expect to see Ferris Bueller on a, show up a couple of times during this phase. Um, but that's not me being like, oh, obvious. I'm just glad it is. Um, and Ghostbusters as well. And and Dirty Dancing, actually. Those three I would exp- I would hope to see on at least one list. So it was really good to see those. Um, do you have any final thoughts on, on Ghostbusters before we jump into your just honorable Just if you haven't mentions? seen it, see it. If you, yeah. seen it, if you haven't seen it, it like yeah, just go, go and see it. Just just watch that one and then watch the new one. You can skip all you, if, you know skip all the if others. You, if you consider yourself a be- a film geek or a film snob, then you have to see it. It's gotta be on your list. Definitely. Um last one. Okay, so you got if you got a few honorable mentions, do you? A couple. Like twenty four. Um, <laughs> I will say this when I was speaking to Gabby before she came on the show. She said she, I think the last time she updated me, she had 30 on her list. Um, and my friend Nick, who I'll be interviewing next week, I think, he was I, he was like, I'm up to 20 so far. So, um, oh no, I'm, I don't have that many. So you don't have to worry about that. Mm. Well, I don't normally do honorable uh, mentions. I try to keep it like to a neat five. Um, but uh, that's, got, I'm not criticizing. Definitely do honorable mentions. I've only got four. Nice one. Well, tell <laughs> me your honorable mentions. What do we got first? First is Risky Business. Tom Cruise. I don't think I've ever Tom seen. Cruise. Is that the? Is this the party one? Yes. So his parents go away, and then he gets some. Oh, this is um, when he slides in in his underwear and his socks. And he sings. Um, old time rock, rock and roll. And roll. Old time rock and roll. Yeah. Okay. So, I may. I think I must have seen this a long, long time ago because I do vaguely remember it, but I couldn't tell you anything about it aside from that. And I think there's a scene on a train. Um, yes, there is a scene on a train. I about, haven't seen it in a long time either, but I do remember watching it and I, I quite enjoyed it. Not mm. my favourite Tom Cruise film, but I did like it. What is it. your favourite Tom Cruise film now that you've opened that door? Oh. <laughs> um, I would have to say probably the very first Mission Impossible film. Ooh, good call. I like that one a lot. I would probably say... Either Collateral, which I haven't seen in a long time. I haven't. I've got it, but I haven't seen it. Oh, Collateral's fantastic. It's so I'm going to talk. I'm going to be talking about with this this with Nick when he comes back on the show because Nick kind of proposed this idea to me a little while ago. He goes, "What do you think about the?" He goes, "I'd love to hear your thoughts about 
the idea of kind of movie star versus actor and Tom Cruise kind of jumps between both of those, but mainly he's more of a movie star. Um, and that, I don't want to get into, I want to get into that debate now. Cause I know that we, like yeah. I, the last, I had that conversation with Tina and went for an hour um, because <laughs> there's a lot to say about it, but I will say this collateral is the exception to the rule. I think for Tom Cruise, he's fantastic. And so um, collateral. And then also if it's not that one, it would probably be edge of tomorrow, which I love. I think edge of tomorrow is fantastic. And I think Tom Cruise is doing a lot of really interesting stuff in there. And he's actually – the problem I have with Tom Cruise, and it seems like I only have problems with people and things at the moment, but no, I love Tom Cruise. But I feel like as he gets older, he has to keep proving to everyone that he's young. Um, yeah. He's hanging out of planes. He's climbing up helicopters, like all this sort of stuff. Um, I think he's just a, an adrenaline junkie as well. I think he's one of the only people has a license for pretty much everything that you can drive or mm. fly or dive. Yeah, I just remember I remember I saw The Mummy and I know a lot of people were like, well, why'd you do it? go and do that? Well, because I was seeing, trying to watch as many movies as possible that year and also like I won't judge a movie based on its reviews. I'll go see it and judge it for myself, which is what everyone should do. Yeah. And I went and saw The Mummy and the first 15 minutes, I was like, what are people talking about? This is great. And then as the movie went on, I was like, oh, I get it now. It's not a bad movie. I just, I'm not interested. Um, yeah. And one of the main reasons I wasn't interested in The Mummy is that Tom Cruise is telling everyone that he's trying so hard to prove that he's not old. And I'm like, but you are in your 50s. It's okay. Like, you can be in your 50s and still chase younger women and still do actiony things. Just accept the fact that you're in your 50s. And yeah. I was saying to the people at the time, I said, The mum, and you know, at the end of the movie, he becomes you know, spoilers for a movie that no one saw. Um, he, become, he becomes the mummy, he becomes immortal. And then he just keeps doing the same thing as always. And I remember I was saying to him, I'm like, it would have been so much more interesting if you have this guy who's in his 50s, he's getting old, he can't do things as well as he used to, which is why I love Skyfall, because that's what it addresses. And then he's presented with this choice where it's like, look, you could give up your humanity and become the mummy, but then you would get your youth back and you would never grow any older and you would never die. Or you can live your life as a human enjoy happiness but you will die and to me like that'd be a much more interesting movie like him trying to make that choice as opposed to him being able to just do everything anyway (laughs) Uh, but um but edge of tomorrow yeah i like that because he like he's not great at everything in edge of tomorrow um collateral he is but it's a fantastic film okay we got (laughs) sidetracked risky business what else is on your honorable mentions um i don't really gonna be funny because on my list I don't remember a lot of this film, but I do remember it's an 80s film and it's Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Oh, fantastic movie. What an absolute cracker of a film. I can't talk about it. (laughs) But I do remember watching it and I think it's one of the, maybe one of the first films that had real life and animated in it because there was the animated side of it. And obviously, the real life. It's not one of the first um, because, and that's what me being like, you don't know what you're talking about. Um, Disney Disney did this a lot, obviously, with Mary Poppins, Ben Nobs and Broomsticks, all those kind of movies. But Who Framed Roger Rabbit does have a first where it's one of the, I think it's the first and maybe only film until recently. I think Chip and Dale might have kind of done this. Well, I still haven't watched it, but based on your recommendation, I will. it has Warner Brothers cartoons and Disney cartoons in the same film. And they never used to do that because they were competitors. And when they were making yeah. that movie, they had to get the contract so detailed where it was like, if you're going to show Daffy Duck, 
for 30 seconds, then Donald Duck has to get 30 seconds. And if you're going to show a Disney character being a hero, then a Warner Brothers character has been like, they had to get the contract so precise because they didn't want one cat, one franchise to get more screen time than the other. And that to all be represented in a similar way. So it didn't make it look like one cartoon was better than the other. So it's a yeah. really interesting movie just from a legal point of view. And that's probably the only time Anne's going to say that about movies. Um, but what? But on top of it, it's great. <laughs> oh yeah, I love it. And um, like I said, I don't remember much of it. I just remember enjoying it while I was watching it. Um, mm. But that's why it's honorable mention. Nice one. That's a great, great movie. Um, that's three or two, three. That's, that's two. My we counting is not good. Uh, number three is Nightmare on Elm Street. Wow! Just part one. Really interesting, because you're not a horror person. You said that at the start of the show. Oh, I've um, said that. I think on a lot uh-huh. of the podcast. I've said that on the other episode of the podcast mm. as well that we did. So you're not a horror person. I also like Nightmare on Elm Street, but number one is not my favorite Nightmare on Elm Street from the '80s. Um, is this because Johnny Depp's in it? <laughs> no, I think it's because it's the only one I have seen. Oh, fair enough. Yeah, that's a fair, that's a fair enough call. Yep. <laughs> um, like, like we all know, and your listeners will now know, I don't like horror. Um, I think it was probably one of the very, very, very first horror films I probably saw, and I think I saw it without knowing what it was. I mm-hmm. think I grabbed it off your shelf when I was a kid, and then yeah, well, I would have bought that box set. I don't think I would have even been 20. I would have been probably 18 or 19, maybe 20, but I was quite young. Not quite young, but like I was younger. Yes, I would have been early teens. Mm. And um, I, I remember having one look at, at Freddy Krueger. I was like, no, this is not for me. That's also, I, I would say, the scariest version of the Robert England Freddy Krueger because in that film, he's masked in shadow a lot. Um, you don't see a lot of him. In the sequels... He's the main character. Like in the sequels, yeah. he's kind of like he's almost kind of like a superhero. Like you want to see Freddy. He's cracking jokes and he's doing like all these weird kills and stuff. He kind of becomes a parody of himself. But the first one is very dark. You don't see a lot of him. And when he was just kind of like dark, shadowy close-ups, you kind of see like his teeth or like a bit of his like melted skin. Um, yeah. And they use all these weird effects, like him coming through the wall. They use like the um, the like stretchy fabric he comes through the wall. They use like the weird long arms and stuff. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, it is a great movie, and it's definitely the darkest of the series, with the exception of maybe the remake. Although the remake, a lot of people don't like. I don't and have. Go on. Sorry. No, go on. No, I was gonna say, is, is that the? F- Correct me if I'm wrong, but is that the f- film when they start singing that song? One. One two, two Freddy's coming for you. And they do that in every really, in every Nightmare on Elm Street film. But that's it was like really creepy, slow. Yeah, because what it is, it's like girls skipping um, in white dresses on like a suburban neighborhood, and they're all singing it. Um, yeah, um, I I love that movie, but my favorite of the original ones is Number Three, The Dream Warriors, and that's when all the kids who are getting tormented by Freddy learn that they can control their dreams and fight back. I think I have seen. Is that the one where? Yep, the puppet. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm saying that bit. I think I have seen that one. 
And there's one where he becomes like a worm, I think. He like eats the guy or like, um, yeah, I really, really like that one. I probably um, should rewatch it. I feel like that, I probably should. There's some really I good think, ones in there. I think like <clears throat> Nightmare on Elm Street is a franchise that is a real product of its time. And what's really fascinating, if you ever have eight hours to kill, um, is there's a documentary called Never Sleep Again. And it's about the history of the Friday of the Nightmare on Elm Street series. Um, and they talk about how as the sequels go on, there's less and less money and they're trying to make things work and they're hiring these directors who have never made films before and they're trying to piece it together. Like the fifth film, I think it was, I think it's the fifth film, there's literally a sequence that just keeps repeating because you know sometimes you have a dream and your dream repeats. They do that, yeah. like where it's the same thing over and over again and the director was like, I didn't have any money. He's like, that's what happened. I couldn't afford to film anything so I need to hit the run time so I repeated the same three times. I was like, you know like, how it's like in dreams? Like that's yeah. the whole reason they did it. Um, yeah. <laughs> so it's probably one of the the weaker horror franchises. Certainly very enjoyable, but I think you know Jason has a a much stronger track record. Even though he's got some dodgy films as well, they're all at least quite fun. Um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre is very very strong. Um, Halloween also quite strong. A couple of weaker ones in the middle, but I think Nightmare on Elm Street is one of the probably that suffers the most for weaker sequels. Not to say there can't be things to be found in each of them that are fun, just they made Freddy a really dark character. Like, Jason is a victim. Michael is just kind of like a killing machine. Leatherface, you know, Leatherface should be a lot more horrible than he is, but he's just like a product of a bad family. But, like, Freddy was like a guy who, like, killed children and maybe did other things. Then you find out weird things about his mum and how, like, Freddy came to be born. And I'm not going to say because it's pretty disgusting, to be honest. But it's just, like, they really went out of their way to push the envelope. I think they pushed it too far with Freddy. That being said... Uh, Robert England is fantastic every time he shows up as Freddy. Yeah. Um, okay, so one more honourable mention. What do you got for me? Back to the future. Yes. You were worried that I wasn't going to have it on there. Well, Frenchie. I think Back to the Future is probably the movie that's been talked about the most in this podcast. And I promise that wasn't my agenda. Like, I love Back to the Future and it was in my top five films. Um, <clears throat> so it won't show up in my top five 80s films because I won't repeat movies. Like, it's a given that it's in there, but because it's in there, I mean, you know, I might throw part three in there. I haven't decided yet, but it won't be part one again. Um, so first one? Yes. Love I, I think one. I have a, um, a thing for the originals. I think um, the first films are probably majority of the time are the best ones. Um, but, yeah, I loved it. I just love the comedy in it. The cast is great. Um, yep. I think everybody wants to have a DeLorean. Yeah, and again, great soundtrack. You have Huey Lewis yeah. in the News, Back in Time and Power of Love. You have the um, Alan Silvestri. Anyway, Michael J. Fox, perfect. I mean, I've talked this film oh. to death on the show, but yeah. Um, where do you stand? Because I ask everyone about this. So number one is your favourite. That's why you've listed on, your li- on this list of honourable mentions. How do you rank the films? What is your ranking of Back to the Future films? One through two. That is correct. Um, I mean, look, that's, 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 that's just what I think. I get a lot of people think that I think Tina goes two, one, three, which is crazy. Um, she put number two in her top five favorite films, and I was like, that is 
No, you're wrong. Like Back to the Future <laughs> Part One should be in your top five favorite films. No, um, that's absolutely everyone's entitled to their own opinion. That's interesting. No one puts three. Or very rarely do people put number three in the one or two slot, but three is great. Um, yeah. Excellent, nice one. Well, that pretty much wraps up your list, which is excellent. Some really good movies in there. I was really glad I could talk about a few of them. Um, and your honourable mentions were great as well. So now what we have to do, we have to do it. You can't get out of it. It is the rapid-fire round. I'm going to ask you the 80s rapid-fire questions. As we know, the rapid-fire questions are never that rapid. They normally take about 20 minutes to answer. I've mixed them up a little bit. So it might not be a movie that was on your list. It might not be your favourite film, but which movie to you is the definitive 80s film? Which movie you're like, that screams 80s to me? A lot of silence for an audio meeting. Ghostbusters. Yeah, beautiful. Fantastic. It has to, yeah, Ghostbusters. I was going to say Footloose, but... I think with 80s in particular, you got to think about music. Like, I've talked about music a lot in this. you got to think about, like, costume and hair and robots and music. Like, robots played a big role in the 80s. Yeah. Um, okay, so that's your definitive 80s movie. Then which 80s movie has the best theme song or soundtrack? In your opinion. It doesn't have to be for everyone. Can I answer it, like, two part, like – Best theme song and best soundtrack? Yes, you can do that, absolutely. Best soundtrack, I think, is Dirty Dancing. Love it. So many iconic songs. And best theme song, again, has to be Ghostbusters because it stays in my head all the time. Interesting. Interesting. I haven't thought of what my favourite soundtrack from the 80s is yet, but I still think it might be Blues Brothers. Um, I I did think Blues Brothers, but then I'm like, no, it's okay. No, this is your, like this is your, I, like this. I like Dirty Dancing soundtrack. Okay, so then which actor or actress defines the 80s for you? Which one is like, if I think of the 80s, I think of this person. This is the person who I most associate with the 80s. Oh. Okay. Um, I have two in mind. We can name two. It's okay. There's no rules here. Um, I'm going to say Dan Aykroyd. Yes. Uh, yes. I was just thinking. And, that and you just want to give Blues um, Brothers a, a shout out. <laughs> You've been ignoring it all episode. I, I'm going to say Michael Keaton because he's in two of my top lists. I think those two define the 80s for me. Just looking at your list now. What was he in? Batman and Beetlejuice. Of course. Mm. Um, mm. Good one. Um, excellent. And then which is the best 80s vehicle or mode of transport? <laughs> I just had three pop into my head. And there's a lot of cool cars and a lot of cool elevators in the 80s. No, I'm going to say the DeLorean. DeLorean wins again. That's that. two in a row. It's a great, <laughs> great vehicle. Okay. Oh, I can go back in time and go forward. <laughs> That's it. So, look, last time you were on the show, I asked you which film should they never, ever remake. What I want to know this time is, out of all the movies in the 80s that you like, which one of them should they remake? Should they remake? Yeah, what can we update? What can we get another version of? Maybe The Breakfast Club? Oh, that is a good answer. That's a really good answer. I, think I don't know a lot who they would put in it, but I think it would be... 
Yeah, that's a good one because that is a film that like people put on a pedestal. And look, it's a great movie, but you can totally tell that story again. Um, yeah. And, you know, maybe they don't all have to be white this time. Um, yeah. All right. Let's, let's, cast, let's cast your Breakfast Club movie. Who are we going to put into it? Oh, I was literally—I literally just said I don't know who I'd cast in it. That's okay. Um, I have to—I haven't seen it in a long time, so I don't have to like. So we've got a jock, we've got a nerd, we've got a basket case, we've got a princess, and we've got a burnout. Is that right? I think so. So who's your nerd? I've got—I've got, I've got a nerd in mind already. And they don't have to be the same. They don't have to be the same genders. You can swap them. So you might want to have a female nerd this time. You might want to have a female jock or something like that. Um, nerd, maybe. I don't know her name, which is really bad. But the girl, she was in Wandavision, and it's not Elizabeth Olsen. Um, but maybe. Sorry. There weren't many. There were many kids in that show. I know, but I, I kind of think I want to. I don't know a lot of young young actors. Oh, maybe Daisy from Fresh. Daisy, I think she'd make a good nerd. Okay, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna Daisy, see your nerd, and I'm gonna okay. rate. I'm gonna. Oh, I was gonna say Tom Holland for the nerd, but I think he should be our prince. Yes. Instead of our princess, I think yeah. that's who. Okay, because Tom Holland, he's young, he should be in it. Okay, I think Daisy's like thirty. Um, but to be so. fair, I think most of the cast in that in the Breakfast Club are thirty as well. Yeah. Okay, who's Tom your Holland jock? As, um, my jock. I'm seeing your problem now because I don't watch a lot of modern TV either. So I'm showing yeah. young actors and actresses. Like pretty much my entire cast would be from Spider-Man, I think. Um, um, my jock, I kind of want to say Zendaya. What is she playing? She's not playing football. I want you to back this up. She's a jock. What's she playing? I, I think a dancer. She's probably like a cheerleader or something. Because she is a well, dancer. Well, that's not a jock. I think... <laughs> Cheerleading varsity. Varsity cheerleading in America is classified as a jock. I don't think Zendaya would do that, but I think she would play a lacrosse player. So I'll meet you, I'll give you your jock, but she has or she maybe she'd play volleyball or maybe she'd play um like softball. Okay, that's two parts of the Spider-Man cast in this movie. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, they're the only young ones we know. I don't know a lot of young'uns. Um then you've got who have we got left? We need so we've got a jock, we've got a prince, we need a, we've got nerd. a nerd. We I gave need you my nerd. Oh, you gave me a nerd, okay. Then we need a burnout and we need um jock princess. A oh, basket case. Basket case. I'm gonna say um, Timothy Chalamet is your burnout. Burnout, yes. I'll give you that. And I'm not even a big Timothy and, Chalamet fan. Notoriously, I have expressed my concerns about Timothy Chalamet in the past, but I think he's your burnout. I think he could do a good job there. And also, it's against type. He always plays like a snivelling, whingy guy. Let's give him something bit more I, to do. I have a good one for my basket case. Who's your basket yep. case? Florence Pugh. <sighs> it should be a good basket case. 
Can I pitch a counter? Because I do like that, but I want to pitch a counter. Zendaya okay. is your basket case and Florence Pugh is your jock. Is your jock. I can, I would make that compromise. There we go. We I did this with, with Gabby last week. I'm like, all right, who's just, because she said Scarface. I'm like, who's your new Scarface? Um, I can't remember who came up with now, but um, it was uh, it was very good. Um, excellent. That is it. You have survived another round of the film snob lair. Uh, well done. Um, <clears throat> Sarah will be back. Um, I haven't released any details about the next phase yet, but look, I mean, if you figured, if you know what this phase is, it's probably pretty easy to figure out how the, the show is going to be going. Um, I'm not that creative, although I've been working on some other things as well, so we might mix things up a little bit. Um, and October, I know it's weird to talk about October in June, but October will be here before we know it, and there's definitely going to be some October-themed lists during that time. So that's going to be coming up in the future as well. Thank you once again to Sarah for returning to the show and providing a really wonderful list and answering all those questions so brilliantly. Um, I'll be back next week. Uh, in the meantime, follow uh, the show on Instagram. I was a teenage film snob with underscores in every word because Instagram Instagram was just being a jerk that day. Um, you can listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, and Anchor FM. If you do listen, please like the show. Give us a five-star review. Write something nice about it. Apparently, that helps. Um, and I'd love to get paid to podcast instead of have a full-time job. Just kidding, but that would be kind of cool, actually. Um, that would be cool. That would be cool. Uh, <laughs> that is going to do it. So as we say, Sarah, every week, you know this to be true. I tell everyone, look, I was a teenage film snob, but I'm trying to be better. We'll catch you next week. <laughs>